I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, but we have just Eddie. It's Kevin Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Pinson. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Rower's Choice. And uh, you've been listening or watching our podcast now for about two years. We've talked to athletes. We've talked to coaches. We've talked to people in the industry, outside the industry. But I've never spoken to somebody at a very high leadership position. This is Nobu Ishizuka, and he is the chair and president of U.S. Rowing Board. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of things have happened, some really exciting stuff with U.S. Rowing um, that we're going to get into. So, Nobu, thanks for taking the time today to talk to me. Thank you, Alex. No pressure here. <laughs> no, yeah, believe me, no pressure. Luckily, this, this thing's edited. Um uh, Nobu, this is wonderful because I know nothing about you. And I don't know anything about your background. And in, in every interview, I ask the same question. How old were you and where were you when you took your first stroke in a boat? Well, I was a freshman in the dorm of Columbia College. And I had three suite mates who were going out very early uh, every morning uh, and coming back um, incredibly excited, enthusiastic about this new sport that they had taken up. Mm -hmm. And I decided after uh, about a month of this that I had to go out and, and join them and see for myself um, what was so unique and um, uh, exciting about it. And from the first moment I got into a boat and took that first stroke, I was hooked. I mean, that, that's sort of the same thing I hear from everybody. I mean, anybody in this sport, you fall in love with it almost immediately. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to age you too much here, but Nobu, like what year was that? How long have you been in the sport of rowing? Yes, that was 1978, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, the age of wooden pococks and Macon blades, um, wooden oars, um, before carbon fiber, actually it was my it was the end of my freshman year at the Eastern Sprints where I saw my first carbocraft. Wow. Wow. So did you, did you carry through Columbia all the way through all four years? Like, were you a rower from then on at the college? I rowed in the lightweight crew and made it through about a year and a half. And that was a period of time when I decided I wanted to go to law school and needed to buckle down uh, with my studies. So uh, that's the direction I went. In. Uh, I took up running instead and then um, took a little bit of a detour during uh, law school. But after that, I came back to the sport because like for a lot of people, once it gets into your blood, it is really hard to, to get it out. <laughs> yeah, it makes me smile, right? Like, I love that. Um, where did you pick back up rowing? Where were you? How, how old were you and where were you in, in the world? Yeah, I was a um, junior associate at a Wall Street law firm and joined the New York Athletic Club. And at the time, and they still do have a, a very active master's um, uh, uh, club within it. And so I just started getting back out on the water, uh, driving up with a friend uh, at five in the morning, rowing on the water by six, off the water by seven, back and uh, at my desk 
by nine in the morning. So that was my routine uh, three days a week and kept that up until I went off to Asia for 18 years. Holy cow. Asia for 18 years. Oh my Asia, 18 gosh. years, yes, and 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 was very active on the masters rowing scene in Tokyo, uh, wow. Hong Kong, China, uh, Australia. So did you win any? Did you win any big races over there? Did you like? It was the only. It, it was the only. It was the first time that I ever won a race. <laughs> when I I went over. Um, your visitors probably can't. Your listeners probably can't see me very well uh, just on the screen, but I'm about uh, as least suited for rowing as anybody (laughs) out there, given my physical um, uh, makeup. Uh, I'm in that spot that I think a lot of people in the sport find themselves in where they're too large to be a cox, but a little too small to be really competitive um, in, in rowing. But in Asia, Uh, And this is one of my arguments for why lightweight rowing should be retained is that um, there are a lot of people that have my physical makeup uh, and uh, have the opportunity to compete with each other at uh, at reasonably high levels. Um, And uh, uh, without that sort of pool of enthusiasm and, and, uh, numbers of rowers, it's, it's really not as, as fun. Um, so I really felt like I kind of found a home in rowing out in Asia. I love that. I found a home, you know, there was uh, back in the nineties and early two thousands, they had midweight rowing and it was perfect for, you know, I was like a midweight, you know, when I was 17, 16, I was an awkward 170 pounds or 165 pounds, uh, it's unfortunate. And I, I always joked about a guy that was my coxswain who later wrote a little bit. His name's Matt. He was like a piece of iron. This, this little guy, man, it's the little guys that I think are the toughest out there, man. It's not the big, strong six foot six dudes. It's the, it's the five foot seven hundred and forty five pound men and women out there that are tough as nails. I'm a big uh, proponent of strength to weight ratios. Uh, 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 you would be, <laughs> of course you would be. Now I'm, this is interesting. So your, your career is in law, but like, why did you take, or why did you go after the position of president and board of us rowing? I mean, that's a, it's a, I don't know anybody. I've never met anybody that was that role. I haven't met them in my life. Why, why did you do it? Why'd you take the, the position? Um, well, I think the short answer is they couldn't find anybody else to do it. Um, oh, I like so that. I kind of fell into it. Um, it I, I'm not a natural choice uh, for the role um, in a lot of different ways. I'm, I'm probably about as much of an outsider as you can get um, in the sport and still be in a leadership position. Um, I, I have been away from the country. Uh, not from the sport, but for a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was here, I was not a prominent member of the rowing community. Um, I don't have deep roots or contacts even um, within the sport here. Um, I, I'm not a competitive uh, uh, rower in the sense that uh, I've never been, I don't have the pedigree of having been on a national team um, or if representing the United States in any way internationally. Um, but there were a couple of skills that 
I think the board was looking for at the time. Uh, I joined the board in 2018, and it was a period when uh, the board and the organization was going through some pretty significant changes, uh, particularly on the governance front. And my career in law happened to give me a background in um, working with CEOs, boards, senior management of organizations. Uh, it, it gave me the experience to know um, what the boundaries are in terms of duties and responsibilities of organizations. Uh, and I think the most important skill that I came away with from my legal career was the ability to navigate difficult situations um, with a lack of information, um, with a lot of lot at stake, politically, economically, legally. Uh, so I had some base of knowledge and experience on how to help organizations uh, navigate through difficulties. Um, and I think that put me in a position to head up the governance committee. There were a number of reforms that people wanted to make. Uh, so I helped our CEO at the time, Marsha Schuper, uh, work through some of those changes, uh, which included CEO turnover uh, and a very difficult financial situation. Together with let me let me let me jump in really quick. What how much time commitment is is a role like this? Like how how could you give me hours a week or like how do you map that out? Um, I haven't been keeping track, but over the past months since I took on the job in March, uh, I would say that I spend about four to five hours a day wow. on U.S. rowing matters. That's, see, you know, there's, U.S. rowing, in my mind, is broken up into many, 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 many categories. And we, the younger generation tends to focus on the juniors and the coaches and like, you know, the 30-year-olds, the 20-year-olds. I don't think they really understand how much time goes into the governance of U.S. rowing. Four to five hours a day is an incredible amount of time to be spending on something that I guess you're you're donating your time to this, right? I mean, this is a, a time donation for you. This is not a, you're not the CEO of the organization. You are overseeing the board. I mean, this is, it's an incredible amount of time. Uh, Nobu, it really is. Yeah, but think about uh, the challenges that we face as an organization. It is an incredibly diverse um, uh, uh, place that covers everything from the grassroots to the elite levels, uh, huge geographic space, yeah. um, a lot of uh, different interests, um, an incredibly passionate community. Um, and we have been in a difficult situation with CEO turnover. Um, the pandemic, um, some legal issues that have arisen, um, and a real need to try to make progress on positive organizational change, um, starting with a, a very labor-intensive um, effort to get out the vote, to amend our bylaws, to put in uh, a, a different board structure, um, 
while at the same time trying to manage expectations around our high performance program, um, which needs to be uh, reformed as well in the wake of our performance in Tokyo and before that, Rio. You you uh, you 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 had a perfect transition into. I want to know, and you from your perspective, the changes that have happened. The the, the vote went through. It was it was seventy five percent said yes. What are the changes to the bylaws? If you can truncate it down to maybe a two minute explanation, what's actually happening now moving forward with the change in bylaws? Right, um, we're reducing the size of our board and we're balancing the representation on the board. Uh, among three key groups. Um, The first being our regional representatives, which uh, bring the voices of all the clubs, um, including the collegiate ranks, uh, into uh, the boardroom. Um, And I include among that the junior programs, everything that constitutes what's defined as an organizational member. Um, Then the athletes. Uh, we have we are required to have athlete representation uh, on the board, and these are incredibly important voices to bring the athlete perspective. Um, and when I speak of the athlete perspective, I'm referring specifically to athletes who have represented the U.S. in the international competition. Um, and then the final one, where we placed the most importance on um, for this vote, was expanding our ability to bring in people uh, with specialized expertise that we may need at any given time. Um, That could be financial, legal, um, uh, subject matter based expertise, uh, which we were limited in being able to access uh, until these changes were. So irrelevant to rowing. These are basically independents. It does not matter if they've ever rowed or not, correct? Doesn't matter, exactly. Now, so you're, you've been, I mean, you've been, focused on the law for so long, you brought these changes in. I'm, I'm assuming you really pushed for them because of your experience in other industries and in other workings with CEOs and other large companies. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. Um, I, I mentioned earlier um, the need to be able to navigate difficult situations with lack of information. Um, the simple fact of the matter is you can't make good decisions unless you have good information and all the information that you need. And for us as a board, in order to get that information, you need to expand the number and types of voices that are around the table when you're discussing these difficult issues. Um, and that's why that, that change was important for us. Now, I, 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 I checked it out a little bit here and there was like, I guess you can correct me here. There's about 1400 voters. Is that correct? That could have voted and 416 voted. What does that tell you about the results? I mean, were you expecting more votes? Were you expecting about that? Cause yeah. I think 75% agreed of out of the 416 or 400 and something. Um, explain to me what that means to you. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question uh, because I've spent a tremendous amount of time um, thinking about how we were going to approach this. Um, this is not the first time we've tried to change uh, the board and the bylaws. And the last time was in 2017. And we have the data from that vote. Um, it was a 15% turnout. Okay. And it was voted down along a 50 50 vote, which means 
we need we needed a two thirds vote to pass, and the measure failed in 2017 because it was a 50 50 vote. There were 250 votes cast, which meant there were 125 negative votes that were cast in 2017, which were sufficient to defeat the measure. Okay, which means we would have needed 375 votes, assuming the same turnout as last time. Okay, the higher the turnout you get the higher the number of negative votes are required to defeat the measure. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to achieve was a 500 um, vote, um, 500 votes cast was my target because that would have required a significant negative vote in order to defeat it. As it turned out, we ended up with 416 votes Okay. There were 108 negative votes cast. There had to be 138 negative votes cast to defeat the measure. So I, placing this number 416 in context, we did quite well because my um, bottom line number was 375 total votes. I was aiming for 500 total votes and we ended up with 416. And as it turned out, we ended up with fewer negative votes this time than we did in 2017. So that's why the margin of the approval was so high. So this is a, this is a, in your mind, this is a victory, right? That, that this is a positive thing that you, you, it, it's, you it's pretty convincing. Um, and, and we knew the members wanted change because during the course of my outreach, uh, which included six information uh, sessions, um, that were open to um, all organizational members. Uh, two of those were, were um, targeted audiences based on requests we had received. Um, I did a straw poll uh, during each meeting and the results were overwhelmingly positive in response to the question, um, how, uh, how important is organizational change to you? And do you think that this proposal will help achieve that? So I knew we were on the right track. It was a self-selected group, yeah. uh, but it indicated to me that we were on the right track. So, I'm, I'm, I want to word this correctly, and, and hopefully if, if CJ needs to edit this, this is the chance to edit. So CJ, put a little mark here. Um, the way, way I see it, like board members, members that run the thing are in their 60s, possibly 70s. And in my mind, they're disconnected to the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds, and they're disconnected from the sport of rowing, right? Because they, maybe most of them have been rowed in years, in decades, or haven't competed, Um in your mind, is that a problem? Like that, that there's less uh, people are dedicated or not dedicated they're, that they're connected to the sport. Maybe they not know what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, this is uh, one of the themes that uh, I've heard pretty consistently um, during uh, my outreach. And it's, it's um, the fact that the perception of disconnection exists uh, is a definite issue. Um, but we have to ask ourselves, what is the, uh, why is disconnection a problem? Because 
the responsibility of a board uh, is to operate at a strategic level uh, and to ensure the financial health of the organization. And it is not the job of a board uh, to get into the management weeds and uh, be involved in the day-to-day management of the organization. So by nature, the function of a board will remove it from um, the day-to-day interactions with the clubs uh, and the membership uh, if it's performing its duties in the right way. Okay. Um, But I think the perception, my interpretation of the perception of disconnection uh, comes from uh, our uh, inability to make improvements uh, in our, in the delivery of the organization's services. Um, The three areas of competency and confidence uh, credibility, I think, lead to um, this perception of disconnection. Right? Uh, if if members and participants in the sport uh, feel that promises aren't being delivered on, uh, if they feel that the services they expect uh, are not being delivered in a competent or timely way, or if there's a lack of consistency in how the organization responds to issues, then there's going to be not only a feeling of dissatisfaction um, and disaffection, but there is going to be a sense that the organization is not connected to the needs of the members. Uh, And it's only natural that people would think that the board sitting on top of the organization uh, has to take responsibility for that. Uh, so from that perspective, I'm, I completely agree that we're, we are disconnected if that's the definition that people are using. Uh, do me a favor and explain to me the goal or the intent or what you're trying to accomplish as the board in the next, say, three to five years. Like, what's your identity as the board right now? What are you guys trying to achieve as an organization? Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, our, our primary duty is hiring. Uh, the CEO and ensuring the financial health of the organization. That's the top um, priority. Below that, positive organizational change is what I as chair would like to see of the entire organization. And that includes uh, how the board functions and the competencies that we have on our board. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, and this is me being um, naive or maybe ignorant to it. I thought the answer was going to be, um, this may sound silly, like we want to see U.S. rowing win the gold medal in, at the Olympics, or we want to see junior rowing increase by 150% because we want to see the, it grow. But that's not, it's not that defined, right? That's, that's the definition of U.S. rowing's organization that runs the day-to-day, right? Yours is financial stability and hiring the CEO. Right. But you're absolutely right. Uh, That's not enough. There has to be a strategic vision. That is also um, our job. Um, I I say positive organizational change because so much flows from that. Okay. Let me just give one example. Um, Metals. Okay. Now, 
we are judged by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee uh, by the number of medals rowing earns at each games. Yeah. That's an unmistakable fact. Um, but it's also true that a medals only focus um, leads to issues. For example, one of the problems we've been having um, is athlete well-being, physical and mental. Yeah, yeah. And if if an organization treats its athletes like cogs in a machine that are disposable um, and aren't sufficiently attuned to the life goals as well as the rowing goals of these individuals who sacrifice an incredible amount to pursue their dreams, we are not serving the best interests of that group. Now, if we looked at it in a different way and didn't look at it in terms of medals, but if we looked at it in terms of this organizational change I'm talking about, which means what if we improve the culture in the teams, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning we started getting away from treating our athletes in a certain way, a negative way. Um, what if we built the proper infrastructure so that there was a seamlessness to their experience where they can focus purely on their performance okay, in a way that they felt supported in their, not only their rowing goals, but their life goals. Yeah. If we get those two pieces right, then my belief is that will lead to the medals. The medals will be a product of getting those other things right. That's why I, I lead with that for in that specific example. In the very and beginning, in the very beginning, we were talking about just how diverse this this organization is, how difficult it is to move them. You're moving a thousand pound boulder, right? I know that junior coaches and some of our audience are going to want to know how long does this take, right? How long does it take before we start seeing changes, significant changes, or is it going to be so subtle and slow? Because again, you your experience, right? You you've you've been doing this your entire career, so you know hopefully how to answer this question. It's just are we going to see changes immediately or is it, how long is this something like this change culture change, financial stability. In my mind, it's like a, you're, we're walking up this hill and it's just, it ain't budging. Yeah. Yeah. Speed is an issue here. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I believe we have not been sufficiently um, uh, changing with the environment that we're in. Okay. Um, we have to look at your question from the perspective of expectations. Um, and let me, let me take um, diversity and inclusion as an example. Okay. How long do we, how long does it take to achieve something like that? You know, what is the end goal? What does it look like? Okay. Um, one area where we haven't been keeping up is demographic change in this country. Okay. The largest growing population in the United States of um, uh, non-white Americans is in the 16 and below demographic. Okay. And for the first time, um, the white population in this country declined uh, during, I, I believe during the last census, okay, during the last 10 years, the first time ever in the country's history that that yeah. happened. 
Okay. If the country is changing in that way, and we are not changing along with it, we are going to get left behind. But how do we start the process of having our sport reflect the country that we live in, right? By providing access uh, around our geographically limited sport, where it can only exist around natural bodies of water, right? Um, that process of change can take a while, but we are making progress on that front. That's an example of evolutionary change, but that has to be purposeful. We have to intentionally go out and try to make that change. And that's what, uh, a, that's a big part of what Amanda Krauss, our CEO, uh, is focused on. But there are real, um, there, there are real organizational reasons why we should do that. It's not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's because it's what the sport needs. Uh, I'll give you another example. Um, organizations like ours, and it's not just in sport, it's across industries, um, the business world, um, other nonprofits. Uh, because of the failure of the political process to address basic expectations and needs uh, of citizens, such as social justice, you know, police reform, um, climate change, um, they expect us to play our role and be those agents of change, okay? Yeah. That is a much bigger scope of expectation than has existed you know, beyond 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And if an organization doesn't evolve with the changing environment, then it will be in a perpetual state of arrested development. And in a sense, that's, that's where the organization has, has been. It's been slow to adapt and slow to change. And so if you ask the question of timing, at a minimum, we have to change at the same pace that the world around us is changing. That's a, a difficult thing to do. Um, I, you know, I, I hear in your voice, um, you, you don't come from a, a, a bad place. Like you want this to happen, right? And the misconception, possibly misconception, is that a lot of folks in this, in this world of ours, in this U.S. rowing world, they don't think that the the governing board is in has good intentions, but they also don't understand how difficult this is, how difficult it is to do what you're doing. And uh, I can hear it. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah, part of it is is self inflicted. Um, I I won't um, shy away from owning um, our responsibility to communicate more effectively what we're really trying to do, right? Yeah. And and what what we really want to achieve for the sport and for the organization. Um, we tend not to be good at doing that. We have to change that approach as well, um, which is why I, I really appreciate the opportunity to do this uh, podcast with you. I, I, have two, I have two final questions. Um, first is, and you could just, it's a simple yes or no. Are you optimistic now having been in the position since March that 
we as an organization are going to get into a financially stronger position. Are you optimistic that that's going to happen? Absolutely. Um, I, 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 we hired Amanda Krauss um, because of her proven ability um, to fundraise in a nonprofit uh, environment. We are a much bigger organization uh, than the organization in Rhode, New York, which is where she came from. Yep. Um, and the challenges uh, are uh, a lot bigger. Uh, but I think if we approach the issue of financial stability in the same way that we've been approaching all the other change that we've been trying to achieve, that we will get there. I like that. So last question. Uh, pretend I'm in a room with 5,000 coaches and rowers. Nobu, what can I do as an individual, as a business owner, business leader, but also as a rower, what can I do to right the ship of U.S. rowing? What responsibility can I take now to help the board and the organization? Listen. And... build confidence towards establishing trust in each other. Um, leave behind the past and try to form a, a, a more positive view of the future. And not, not in one big step, but through incremental change. Um, there, it, it, the passion that um, all of our members and the rowing community brings to the sport is a two-edged sword. It's a, it's a huge positive, um, but it also comes with a lot of history, um, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of factionalism, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, and because of a, a long pattern of um, unkept promises um, and disappointments, uh, it's built up a, a, a lack of trust. And in certain cases, the, these feelings can be so entrenched that you can feel that we would never get over it. Um, the only real way to do this is through small incremental confidence building steps. So much like um, General McRaven said about getting up every morning and making your bed, um, and that is the start of a successful day, um, which leads to a successful you know, you know, life pattern. Um, those are the sort of things I, I think we, we should really start trying to do as a community. In order for us to listen, uh, you all need to talk. So I'd say if you can get anything from this interview, this sit down is uh, we want to hear more from you. And uh, I've learned this as a business leader myself. It might not have to be the perfect message. You might not have to take hours to write it as long as you just get it out there, get the message out there. Uh, Nobu, I can't thank you enough, man. I had I learned a lot, actually, in this interview. Uh, and this is the first time that we've not talked about rowing strokes and training. And I, I got to learn something. I hope you enjoyed it too. I mean, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I did. It, it was, it was really enjoyable. Thank you for the opportunity, Alex. And um, yeah, I completely agree. Let's keep the dialogue going and, and let's listen to each other.
There it is. Uh, now, you can learn more about Nobu and the organization. We're going to be providing links in this uh, interview. Uh, more from us soon. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. It's Kevin Sauer. Eric Murray. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Pinson. Thank you for being here.